Let there be light. That was beautiful. I have a verse of song that's on my mind. I'm thinking about singing it right at the start, but I think I may wait. And when I see the first yawn, I'm going to try and stop and we'll sing that verse. I'm going to tell you ahead of time what the verse is. I think most of you know it. from the, at least from the Brethren heritage. Most of you will recognize this song, but I think it's common even throughout other Christian uh, circles. And that song was inspired to me this morning during the first message. Holy and reverend is the name of our eternal King. Thrice holy Lord, the angels cry. Thrice holy, let us sing. So be ready. First yawn, we'll try to sing that one. If there aren't any, we might have to sing it anyway. <clears throat> Brother Kurt quoted part of that song uh, in his message. I would like to make another comment in introduction. Uh, ministers have to watch or they'll spend all their time bearing testimony to what was said earlier. But it's inspiring and I, I appreciate so much the lessons we've had already. And I want to... Uh, to just make this comment uh, with both of these brethren, particularly our older brother Leslie, as he shared. I just want to mention this to you young people. Uh, Leslie, we figured out, is a year older than my dad last night. And I think of my dad as an older man, but he's older yet. But I just want to share this, not to lift him up, but to let you know how to value having Older people among you that you can learn from and be discipled by. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah in the third chapter that there's coming a time on Israel. That was prophesied then and it happened. But it's still true today. God says, I will curse my people because they turned their hearts from me. And do you know what part of that curse was? God said, I'm going to take away the ancient. I'm going to take away the ancient. I plan to refer to this scripture later on in the week. But you can look at it in Isaiah 3. Behold, I do take away from Jerusalem the whole stay and staff, the mighty man and the man of war and the eloquent orator and the cunning artificer, the prophet and the prudent and the ancient. It's a curse when God takes away the voice of the older man. Brother Leslie, I'm not saying you're ancient. But I'm just portraying to each of you the value of having gray-haired teachers among us. I feel that value. I need that. And it's a great blessing. I could say more, but we want to move on to the message today. And so, if you would with me, let's just all stand to our feet for a word of prayer. The Lord, our Heavenly Father, We pause right now in the name of Jesus. We wouldn't want to come any other way, Lord. You've promised that if we ask anything in His name and according to Your will, that You will hear and that You will answer. Prayer works, Lord. That's why we're praying right now that You will bless this time. We're asking that You will meet with us in this hour, that it will be profitable, Father. I pray that the building in this hour will not be with wood, hay, and stubble, 
but that it can be of gold and silver and precious stones in each one of our lives, building that will last. Father, open the hearts of each of these young people. Open and humble the heart of Your servant this morning. that We could share together and communicate the truth of the Bible. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. You're getting very responsive with that, but we, we might try it one more time. Good afternoon. No yawns yet. I'd like to teach you a new word at the start of this session. Set my watch out here where I can see it. Rather, I'll be watching for that sign. <laughs> this word is prothesis. It's not prosthesis, which is a, a uh, wonderful invention of man. If someone has lost a leg or an arm or a limb, they can have a prosthesis fitted for them, something that would, would work and not be as, quite as good as the original limb, but still a real blessing, a real help. But this word is prothesis. I want to tell you what that word means in a little introduction before we get into the main a commission that I've been given for a message this afternoon. The word prothesis means a setting forth. That word in the King James Bible is often translated purpose. Purpose. Now my assignment this week has been to highlight some practical, biblical character qualities of youth with purpose. If I'm going to do that, I think it's important that we acknowledge and consider what is our purpose. What is our prothesis? So we want to get into that. But for a moment, I want you to think about this word purpose. Prothesis is the Greek word. It means a setting forth or a proposal uh, it's taken from the, the Hebrew etymology of the shewbread, the bread that was set out for display in the tabernacle. Prothesis, it's something you set forth that can be seen. A similar word is to place before or to exhibit. Prothesis. Youth with prothesis. Youth that are have purpose. The Apostle Paul in the third chapter of 2 Timothy, this is a chapter that my father commissioned me one night when I was a young man at home. He said, I want you to memorize this chapter, son. And I did that. And it's still with me today. I don't say that to, to point to, to me other than that it's just a blessing of memorization. So your work last night wasn't in vain, brother. And the rest of you keep on memorizing, committing. Uh, scripture to memory, but in 2 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul says this, You, Timothy, my son, thou hast fully known my doctrine, he says, manner of life, purpose. That's the first thing on his list. I had purpose, Timothy. Purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, and so on. The rest of the chapter goes. But purpose. Youth with purpose. Youth, youth with prothesis. Youth that are willing to set forth their intentions. They're not hiding it. 
They're making showbread out of their lives. They're not ashamed to exhibit their purpose. That, to me, is a real blessing. That is also a real key in your Christian life. Youth with purpose. You're willing to set forth your intentions to walk with God. You're serious about it. You're not ashamed of it. You're willing to determine. You're willing to exhibit. You're willing to be counted to be known as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to think about God zooming right now. And some in our home congregation, it seems like I've mentioned this several times lately. Zooming. God looks down upon this earth, this globe. And I believe He sees the big picture. We know that all over the world He's promised He has His children. He says someday out of every nation, kindred, people, tongue, and tribe, I'll have my people. I've made them unto me kings and priests. So God looks down and He sees that whole picture, the body of Christ. But I'd like you to think this morning how God is zooming in on you as He sees the big picture, just like we do with a a zoom lens. We zoom in closer and closer and closer and closer. And I've got the X hairs right on JT. Zooms right down to, to each one of us individually. And He sees individuals. He sees little local bodies of believers. He sees His ecclesia. His called out ones. And I, the reason I'm spending a moment with this is I think it's so important. A lot of teaching this week, and not that it's new to you, but especially when we get into practical, biblical character qualities of youth with purpose, a lot of this teaching, when we get practical, won't make sense to you unless you can clearly establish this view, this mindset of God. And that is this. God wants to call out soldiers. God is calling out a people. There are different views, different ways that we find that in the Bible explained. Today I just want to momentarily think a little bit about being called to be soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I remember seeing advertisements as a young man, and I'm not sure what's current right now. But even in, I went to a public school down in California where I grew up, and you would see things advertising the Marines. And I had a friend, I actually took for a while a, a weightlifting class for one quarter. It was an elective PE class. I know it doesn't look like it now. But I did take that class. And, and there was a guy in there, he was quiet, he was silent, and, and he was so muscular. I've never seen anyone as muscular and lean and hard as him. And he was quiet. He didn't talk to anyone. He just worked out and worked out. And the sweat would roll off this man. And I learned that he was, his desire was to be in in an elite branch of the Marines. I don't know if that ever happened with him. I've completely lost track of his life. But we would see signs like, we're looking for a few good men. Or signs like, the few, the proud, the Marines. Or signs like, this is more than a job. It's an adventure. Sometimes I tell the the men that that we hire that. (laughs) God is zooming down on lives. 
And He wants to call out soldiers for His kingdom. Jesus said this. You're familiar with this, but I want you to stop and grasp this once again. When He stood before Pilate, right before He was crucified, Pilate was asking Him some questions. The crowd was interrogating Him. And they finally asked Jesus, Pilate finally asked Jesus, He said, Are you a king then? Are you a king? Now the reason we're here together this weekend, is be, or this whole week, is because of, of the Lord Jesus. But let's stop a minute and think about that question. Maybe you could answer it. Is he a king? Art thou a king? Pilate asked Jesus. Jesus said, Thou sayest it. To this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world. Yes, I'm a king, is what he was saying to Pilate. But my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If you don't get that clear, my young friend, a lot of Bible teaching this week won't make sense. If you get that clear, established from the Word of God in your heart, being a disciple of Jesus Christ in all the details that the the Word of God has to bless us will make lots of sense. But if you don't get that one clear, and I'm sorry to say, there are many... Well-meaning people who do not have that clear. And it causes lots of confusion and conflict in the world of Christianity. If you get that one clear though, a lot of teaching is going to make sense to you. Kingdom citizenship. You can see your life as being called into something special. Something different. Something that is outside of the norm. Something that is a, apart from the normal flow of society, a lot of Bible teaching is going to make sense. <clears throat> you have the opportunity. Most of you, if not all of you, have chosen the opportunity to belong to the biggest and greatest and most important kingdom this world has ever known. Now, just highlight a few verses, then we're going to get into some detail. Thinking about being soldiers. Because if we don't have the foundation, the rest of it doesn't make sense. Remember the verses you were invited to memorize in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which thou hast given unto me, I have given unto thee among many witnesses. I can't get it right either. The same commit thou to faithful men. That's our goal this week. That who shall be able to teach others also? And it's my prayer. I thought about this this afternoon. I thought, I'm just praying that if the Lord tarries, if the King tarries, 10, 12 years, maybe less, I don't know, some of you will be teaching, if not all of you, the same commit thou to faithful men and women who shall be able to teach others also. By the way, ladies, in all your visions. Remember, and I appreciated them so much, but remember, it's alright to have a vision to be one that will teach others also. To have a godly home and to raise godly children. The virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 was what? She was a mother. She had a vision to train up soldiers for the kingdom. 
So whether you do that here or on the other side of the world or if God calls you to live a single life, it doesn't matter. Just remember, able to teach others also. <clears throat> want to go on in that. Now therefore, the Apostle says in the next verse there, the one you, you've memorized, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him, chosen each of you to be a soldier. Think about that. No man that warreth, the Apostle said. Do you consider yourself at war? As you look at your life, I don't know what your jobs are, if you have occupations, if you go to work. I don't know where you live, all of you exactly. I kind of have a feel for most of you. Do you realize you're at war? No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. You're at war. If you're a Christian, if you're a true Christian, mark it down, you're at war. You're not in a relaxed time of peace. Vigilance, courage, watchfulness, all of those things are absolutely necessary. You're at war. What were some of the Apostle Paul's last words? The last chapter of 2 Timothy, the last recorded words we have of the Apostle Paul. I have what? I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, the Apostle Paul said, but unto all them also that love is appearing. I hope that includes all of us. Love is appearing. Are excited for it. Are ready for it. Soldier standing duty on watch. Loving his appearing. Waiting for that. that were, 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 those were some of his last words. War. I may speak of some other warfare scriptures later. I'm not sure. But I just wanted to give that introduction because if we don't see ourselves as called by the Lord Jesus Christ who has bought us with His blood and saved us and forgiven our sins, praise God for that, washed us and forgiven our sins so that we could be soldiers. We could be in His army. If we don't have that view, many things will not make sense. And I, I have a vision. I, I wrote it down this way. Probably in a little bit of frustration some years ago, I wrote down these words. And I'm just going to quote them to you again. It was a vision. And I've, I've just written this to a number of young people through the years. And it's that I have a vision of an army of thousands and hundreds of thousands of young men and young women who have a living faith in Jesus Christ who have repented and been set free from their past sin and have been boldly baptized into Jesus Christ and His kingdom, who are not ashamed to step out in sincere biblical separation from the sinful American society and who are amazing examples of godliness, love, purity, humility, and unselfish Christian service who lock arms and hearts in prayer and in love for the Word of God and will not compromise with watered-down doctrine 
and who sound out loudly with hymns and lives of joy and devotion and praise as they march toward victory. That's a vision I still have and I think you share it. Well, with this biblical backdrop of your calling out of civilian society into, into being Christian soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to talk about this message that has been given to me. The title of the message this afternoon is Giving God a Glorious Gift. Giving God a Glorious Gift. That's supposed to be a gift or a present up there to to formulate that in your mind. The lesson is a lesson on biblical modesty. That's the title. I'll explain the title in a few minutes. As we begin, this first message that I was asked to speak about this afternoon, this week, a lesson on biblical modesty. Let me give you a definition of modesty. This is right out of the dictionary. Modesty is freedom from conceit or vanity. Modesty is propriety in dress, speech, or conduct. Modesty is the quality or state of being modest, specifically humble or unassuming behavior, lack of excesses or pretensions, moderation, decency, decorum. Modesty. Modesty includes your whole heart attitude, your life conduct, your speech, and your appearance. Today, primarily, I'm going to focus on how the wellspring of your life, the things that are in your heart, flow out into your appearance. Modesty. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the 12th chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 12, familiar chapter perhaps to most of us, I'm just going to plan to read verse 1 of Romans chapter 12. In fact, let's read it together. Why don't we all read it together? I'm going to say Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and then let's start reading verse 1 together. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We'll stop there. That's where I got the title this afternoon for the message. Giving God a glorious gift. What's another word besides a gift for this thing right here? A present. It's a present. When we were young and perhaps even when we get a little older, we anticipate getting presents. You know, just uh, uh, perhaps it was just before, uh, within a couple hours before we left to come over here. Or maybe it was the night before, I can't remember. Brother Willie brought a present. 
from a, a man down in Haiti that we've got to know through the years. And, and it just touched my heart. He had something in there for myself and for my wife. And, and how he even found the wrapping paper to wrap that was beyond me. But he found some wrapping paper and it just blessed our hearts that he'd wrapped up a little present and sent it with Willie who was coming home for this Bible school. Thank you again, Willie, for that. But I know this young man had, had given that thought and it was out of the, the love of his heart and the desire to bless that he'd carefully selected and, and a present and wrapped it up and, and sent it clear to America for my wife and I. A present. Well, this verse we've just read together in Romans 12.1 says that God... Thank you, brother. I saw the first yawn. We're going to stop. Let's stand up and sing, Holy and reverend is the name of our eternal King. Thrice holy Lord, the angels cry. Thrice holy, let us sing. Here we go. Holy and reverend You can be seated. We may get several opportunities to sing that verse during this session. Afternoons sometimes are more challenging. But uh, thank you. This is my nephew and I appreciated the yawn. I wanted to sing that song sometime. Romans 12.1 I beseech you therefore. Beseech means I'm entreating you. I'm urging you brothers. I'm urging you sisters. I beseech you. By what? By the mercies of God. The mercies of God. That's a big motivation for someone to beseech by. The mercies of God. That's why I'm even here. We wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the mercies of God. And Paul says, Brethren, sisters, I'm beseeching you by the mercies of God. What? That you give God a present. Give God a present. That you present. That's a present. That's something you present. That's something you give. God says, I'd like a present. That's exciting. It's it's fun to be able to give a present to someone who you know what they want, you know how they want it, you know what delights them, and then to be able to give that. It really is more blessed to give than to receive, like the Bible says. And, and it, as you live a while, you really learn that. Little children, they're pretty excited about the receiving. Although it's amazing how soon, especially with good teaching, they learn to love to give too. But isn't it a blessing this afternoon that God is inviting you to give Him a present? The Apostle Paul says, I'm telling you to do this. I beseech you therefore, my brothers, my sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service that to me 
provides an excellent foundation for the discussion of modesty. God invites you through His servant Paul to all brothers and sisters that you would give God a present, a very special present, and it is your body. It's right out of the Word. We just read it together. A living sacrifice. I want to comment on that. I thought about it. I thought about rallying some of you men and going out and getting some rocks and seeing if we could build an altar right here. I thought about different things. I thought about taking photographs off your applications and and, and blowing them up and, and putting them on a paper somehow and somehow putting them on top of that altar. But the point is real. Your body on the altar, God says, is a present. Wait a minute, God. The things I've seen on the altar in the Old Testament died. Lambs and rams and bullocks were killed and their blood flowed down on the altar. And, and God said, I'm satisfied with that. Now, we can't satisfy God in the same sense that way. His Son came down and crawled on that altar, the altar of the cross for you and me, and He died and paid the price for our sin. But, don't let anyone water down the truth of this Scripture. God wants your body on the altar, not dead, a living sacrifice. Something that you give up. That's what a sacrifice is. It's something, it's things that you give up. You sacrifice your body to God. But you do it as a present for Him. Now, how many of you know how God likes His presence wrapped? I want to talk about that for a little while today. How God likes His presence wrapped. You know, a couple of years ago, in, in Ellensburg, there's a university, Central Washington University. It's a liberal arts college, and uh, I don't know, maybe it's been three or four years ago now. I got a call from a professor, a lady professor there at the university. And she says, we're doing a class, and the title of the class, the college class, is called Socioculture Aspect of Apparel. Wow, that's a big title, isn't it? Socioculture Aspect of Apparel. She said, we're doing a class on that and we're, we're studying um, the ways people present themselves in clothing. And most of the students there were headed on for a fashion design major or some kind of fashion merchandising or marketing type of major. And so we went to that class. I said, sure, I'll be glad. She said, she said we've kind of noticed some of you folks around there. And would you come and talk to our class, of all things? And so we did that. We talked it over, some of the ministry, and I went. Melanie went with me, and Stephanie, that used to live with us, went along as well. And most of the, the students were girls, most young ladies. There were a couple, two or three young men in the class. And, and it was an opportunity to, to share the gospel with them. And, and so I started out doing that. I thought, okay, they invited me. They don't have to invite us back. 
but I'm here. I'm going to tell them why they invited me. They don't know why. They think it's some, maybe some religious tradition, but I'm going to tell them. And I told them, you have to realize that the reason for our evident modest appearance is because of our worldview. It's because Jesus Christ came down to this world, this man that split history in the middle and changed the course of the world. And I happen to believe that. And because of that, I've been called into His kingdom. We're soldiers. We have a whole different worldview. And, and so everything is different. And we're delighted. And, and they were actually quite fascinated with that. I don't know what all they thought. We've been invited back since. And others have went and, and taken that opportunity. But I challenged some of the girls in that class. And this, this is kind of a sideline. I said, girls. And they were in all imaginable forms, as you can imagine. But God bless them. Many of them haven't had the teaching or opportunity that you've had. I said, girls, can you imagine what it would be like to have a relationship that was based on who you are as a person? On someone that really cares about you and not just on the way you're presenting yourself or, or what you're flaunting yourself to be. Can you imagine what that would be like? And I really think some of them stopped just for a moment and pondered that. Not saying none of them knew it. But I'm saying that many today have shallow relationships because they're based on all kinds of external things that end up in hurt and heartache and all the other things that society is experiencing. I'm going to have to hurry along. You know... I guess I want to I want to share this too. I talked to them about the language of life choices. You know, we all speak different. You know, if you've traveled to different areas, you've heard other languages, perhaps, or you've heard immigrants. Everyone speaks their own language, but there's lots of languages beyond just the verbal language. Uh, you can communicate in lots of ways, and people do communicate in lots of different ways. There's language, uh, your, your life choices are a language that shout. Sometimes, I've said it this way, our words speak, our lives shout. But the language of life choices. And, and I want to talk to you a moment just about the language of apparel. We're talking about modesty this afternoon. We're going to focus primarily on how that affects our external appearance. Today, I went to a public high school down in California, Fred C. Byer High School. Maybe a couple thousand students there. I went all four years to that high school. We had different uh, groups there. And it, it, within that high school, you could walk down a certain aisle and sure enough, there'd be the cowboys. You could recognize them. A uh, faded ring in the back pocket of their Wranglers or Levi's of Copenhagen where they sat and they had to really wear that thing to make sure they got that ring. A big belt buckle in the middle. Um, hats if they could get away with them. You know, the whole boots, the whole wore, wore off those boots as much as they could so they could walk bow-legged on the edges. There was a whole culture, that's my point. There was a deliberate effort to appear a certain way. To fit in. And if someone became a cowboy, all of a sudden, wow, they, they started fitting in. They, they did that thing. And then, and then we had what we called the jocks. And, and they'd be out in the forum and they'd have all the ag, the, the, the nice tennies, the jerseys. They were the, the, the stars. The, 
And then in, in the, our culture there, there were the lowriders. They were typically a Hispanic population and they had real baggy pants and chains and had a certain look and their vehicles reflected a certain image as well. And, uh, you know, there were the, the elite folks, the ones that wore real classy, expensive clothes. There were the burnouts, the ones who kind of took on deliberately a druggy, rock and roll, heavy metal type look. And, and all, but my point is, they all had a language. The language of their appearance. They deliberately fit into a particular culture. And, and when someone identified, sometimes someone would change from one to another. And then they would fit in. They'd, they'd take on that persona, that appearance. The language. People choose all different wrappings to present themselves. Let's see what God says. What does God say about gift wrapping? Remember, this is Bible school. That's what we've titled it. We talked about different names for this week, but why, why do we call it Bible school? We want to know what the Bible says. There's a lot of ideas out there about a lot of things, but what does the Bible say? Let's talk about that a little bit. What does the Bible say? I want you to turn, and I'm going to try and go rather quickly through these. Third chapter of 1 Peter. I'm going to go right into it. I'm going to just look at a few spots of what the Bible says about how God likes His gifts wrapped. First Peter, chapter 3, right toward the beginning there. I haven't got there yet. Talking, beginning speaking to wise, but let's just notice some things here on down. There we are. Uh, it's talking about wives and so forth, but look at verse 2. While they behold, that's talking about an ungodly, unbelieving, word-disobeying husband. While he behold, they behold, your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Verse 3, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Don't want to take a lot of time there, but I just want to notice this. Whose adorning? Peter is talking to ladies. Whose adorning? He doesn't say don't adorn. He says, do adorn. He's assuming that, they, that ladies will be adorning. And, and girls, this whole lesson isn't focused on you. But some of the scriptures pertain more to you. We'll deal with the men through the week. <laughs> These things really apply to all of us. But in this case, he's talking to ladies. Who's adorning? He's assuming you're going to adorn. But he says, let it not be that outward adorning. Outward adorning. It's the wrong wrapping. He says of plaiting the hair. That literally means braiding or, or, or adorning your hair. Doing fancy things with your hair. Putting things in your hair that, that shine out. Or of putting on of gold or of apparel. This is Bible school. We want to know what the Bible itself actually says. It actually mentions some things here. Putting on of apparel. That's lots of, of attention to costly clothes and, and, and externals for uh, appearance or attention's sake. Outward adorning, that's the wrong wrapping, that's the wrong focus for our wrapping. But, he says, let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. And I just want to recommend to you right now that you adorn yourself extravagantly and beautifully 
with a meek and quiet spirit. Don't. Don't hold back. Go all out. Go all out with inner adorning. Extravagantly with a meek and quiet spirit. Because God says, in my sight, that is of great price. I value that. That's the kind of wrapping that I value, that I love on my gifts. When you present, when you make a present of your body to God as a living sacrifice. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. It's not corruptible. That, by the way, won't wear out. Won't wear out. A lot of other things wear out. You see sometimes these older ladies, they have to work all the harder and spend all the more money to try and keep that thing that they were trying to protect from wearing out. But I'll tell you, it will wear out. It's corruptible. But beautiful older sisters that have cultivated an inner adorning, it won't wear out. It's not corruptible. The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of great price. Let's go on. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's glance at this one. This is Bible school. We want to know what the Bible has to say. You didn't come here just to hear my opinions. First Timothy chapter 2, let's look at verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. This verse was quoted earlier. Lifting up holy hands. Remember we talked about that with wrath and doubting. Notice the next word. In like manner also, in the same way, ladies, holy hands, without wrath, without batting, in like manner also that women adorn themselves, there's that word adorn again, in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Just want to, want to notice those things. Holy adorning, men and women in like manner, the Scripture says here, modest apparel. What is that? What kind of wrapping does God want? Well, He gives us a few clues here again. Uh, modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. That's quite a forbidding term, isn't it, girls? Shamefacedness and sobriety. Does that mean I need to look embarrassed all the time? No, that's not what it means. The word literally means with downcast eyes. And I think you could say what it's actually saying is that you don't have a forward, flirting, aggressive manner. It's beautiful to have a friendly, outgoing sister. We're all created different. That doesn't mean if you're naturally outgoing that you can't fulfill the Scripture. You can. Some of you are quieter or shyer. That's okay. The point is, shamefacedness and sobriety is not an attitude of flirting and and, uh, trying to get attention for me. It's an inner adorning that won't wear out. It's beautiful. Ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Shamefacedness and sobriety, again, not with broided hair. Bible two times specifically mentions this thing of adorning or ornamenting your hair for show. Or with gold, it mentions that again too. Or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. With good works, adorn yourselves with those extravagantly. Let's go on. We'll look at some scriptures here. and Then my goal, if I have time, is to conclude with about ten just kind of miscellaneous points that I'd like to make on this subject. 
Deuteronomy 3, verse 22, or I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. I just want to mention this. I'm not going to spend much time here. I just want to note, you to note that the Bible does say, men and ladies, that God calls for a distinction between the sexes in apparel. That isn't a cultural idea that we came up with. That was God's idea from the beginning. I'll quote to you Deuteronomy 25, or read it to you rather. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Remember, this is God's idea. The Bible says in creation, God made them male and female. And He said it's good. And it's very good. I like the way I've done it, God says. I did it right. I planned for that distinction to remain clear. We wouldn't want it any other way, would we, men? We want it to remain clear. That distinction. God called you to be a lady, be a lady. God called you to be a man, be a man. And among other things, God says, wrap your gift like a man or like a lady. Glance at a couple other scriptures. Again, remember it's Bible school. Proverbs 7.10. Isaac, was that you that I asked to have that one ready? Would you please read Proverbs 7.10? Okay, thank you. Don't want to take time to go there. That's the scene that Solomon saw when he looked out the window of a foolish young man that was void of understanding, heading down the street, and there met him a woman, notice, here's my point, with the attire of a harlot. Apparently, Solomon recognized what that was. Apparently, as he looked out the window and saw people passing through Jerusalem, he could see men, he could see ladies, and they were dressed different ways, but ah, Solomon out his window. That lady is dressed like a harlot. She had the attire of a harlot. That apparently is something recognizable. We don't even want to get close to the attire of a harlot. We don't want to have the spirit of a harlot. And as such, we don't want to have the attire of a harlot. You know, I had, and it made me sad a while back, I was in a setting where there was a young man and, and uh, he had some photos on his, I don't know if it was his iPod or his iPhone or whatever it was, of his girlfriend. And he had kind of the official family photo of this girl in very modest apparel, uh, looking very much like a Christian young lady. And then he had a, another photo of her that he was kind of proud to display, at least to some of the other young men, and she looked much different in that photo. And that's a shame. That is a shame. And that, my friends, makes a mockery too many times, and it causes some of us to react to this whole subject, because we've seen that where someone clothes a carnal heart with some standardized clothing without any change inside and they still have the attitude and the spirit of a harlot. I don't care if it's a lady or a man and they're clothing a carnal heart. That's not what we're after. I react to that too. We are talking about a changed life. Changed from the inside out. 
that flows out, though, as a living sacrifice presented unto God the way He wants it presented. Second uh, Samuel 11, verse 2. Trent, you have that verse ready. Please read that. Can I keep verse 2? Yes. And it came to pass, and the evening died, that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Okay. Want to make a point out of that. Here's a, here's a woman. We all know about this story. This was King David. It's when he fell into sin. He was walking around on his rooftop and he looked out and he saw a woman bathing herself and she was beautiful. And we know David, he, he fell into sin out of that. But I want to just make this point. I don't want to spend long here. It's one thing to dress modestly in public. But how committed... Men and ladies, ladies and, and men both, how committed are you to modesty when you're, quote, off-duty? Is there such a thing as off-duty? Is it possible? I don't know. Is it possible that Bathsheba... I'm guessing when Bathsheba went out into the streets of Jerusalem that she was very modest. But I'm going to propose to you that in this case she was being careless. And I'm not putting all the blame on her, but I'm going to put some of it on her. She was being off duty. And I think sometimes we have Christian sisters with a commitment to dress modestly in public and in many settings, but they have their off duty moments when they kind of... And don't take me wrong, I'm not being radical. I realize there's... You discern by the Word of God. God will give you instruction on this. I'm just saying, your heart knows when you're getting a little bit of an I'm off duty attitude, and it can cause problems. I want to go on. I'd like to read to you out of the New Living Translation. I, I have it down here. You don't have to turn here if you don't want to. I want to read to you a scripture, since this is Bible school. It's from the third chapter of Isaiah, that chapter I was quoting earlier, and may go back to more later in the week for some other things. But I want you to notice how in the New Living Translation it speaks uh, in 16 to 24, those verses. The Lord says, Beautiful Zion is haughty, craning her elegant neck, flirting with her eyes, walking with dainty steps, tinkling her ankle bracelets. So the Lord will send scabs on her head. The Lord will make a beautiful Zion bald. On that day of judgment, the Lord will strip away everything that makes her beautiful. Ornaments, headbands, crescent necklaces, earrings, bracelets and veils, scarves, ankle bracelets, sashes, perfumes, charms, rings, jewels, party clothes, gowns, capes and purses, mirrors, fine linen garments, head ornaments and shawls. Instead of smelling of sweet perfume, she will stink. She will wear a robe for a sash and her elegant hair will fall out. She will wear rough burlap instead of rich robes. Shame will replace her beauty. That's quite a descriptive passage there in Isaiah. 
And God is speaking once again about when He pours judgment out upon His people. Not only will I remove the old man among you, He says, but I'm going to cause the these fancy, showy girls in Zion, I'm going to bring shame upon their lives. And it's no wonder that Peter warns about that outward adorning. Just want to get some glimpses of these scriptures. I want to get another one in Isaiah. Isaiah 47, verses 1 to 3. This is interesting. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but just make you aware of the scripture. I think many times we can learn from the spirit of the scripture. And men, it helps, even though some of these things at times are directed more at ladies. Your conviction makes a difference on these subjects. It makes a big difference. You can let it be evident what you value and what you appreciate and what you respect. And even your eyes will have something to do with that. I want to read this passage in Isaiah. I have it typed out here. If you're there, that's fine. Isaiah 47, verse 1 to 3. I just want you to notice, and I realize the context is is a little different there, but notice what God calls shame. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. He's talking about Babylon, judgment poured out upon the city, the nation of Babylon. But he's using an illustration, and I think in God's Word, often the illustration speaks to us as well. You can find that in the first part of Romans 7. You can find it in a lot of places. Where we learn a bigger principle even through the illustration. Okay. O virgin daughter of Babylon, sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of, of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks. Make bare thy leg. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not meet thee as a man, God says of Babylon. Now, here's my point. Little verses, I think, that can give us some principle. I see progressive exposure and I see that God, in His Word, clearly calls it shame. Uncover the locks. Make bare the leg, uncover the thigh. You see it all around out there in society, but God says, I'm calling that shame. Number, I have them numbered. I haven't been giving you the number. An eighth scripture I want to look at. Again, a principle. It's an area I've been studying at home. I've been going through 1 Corinthians. I'm going to have to hurry. I just want you to ponder this again. This is a principle scripture. It's when... When Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about the body, he's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the church. But he has this to say, and I'm going to have to go really fast. He says, yes, there are many parts. This is a, uh, this is a different translation that I typed out here just to kind of portray it. This is verses 20 through 24. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. This is actually the Amplified Bible. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. He's talking about the church, the body of Christ. 
I'm expecting to talk about this at home shortly. But I do see, again, a principle that applies to our living sacrifice, this present you give God. God says there are parts of our bodies that aren't presentable. We're talking plain here. Upon these, He says in King James, we bestow the more abundant honor. In other words, we give special care. That's why sometimes you'll hear talk, ladies, about being double covered. That's why men... There are ways that we can dress that are modest and ladies as well. Some parts have no need, the Bible says, but some parts we clothe with great care, more abundant honor. Satan, in his deceiving manner, he'd like to highlight certain parts of the body. What is this in my pocket? What is this? It's a highlighter. What do you use it for? If you have text or something in your Bible that you want to stand out, you, you use this thing, and it glows. I like these colors. They're fluorescent. They're really bright. I like them, but they kind of bleed through on the pages. But you know what? You each have a highlighter in your life. How are you highlighting your gift? What are you highlighting? What are you taking that bright pink highlighter on your present to God and, and highlighting? Give God a glorious gift wrapped the way He wants it. Well, I'd like to talk about veiled glory. I don't think I'm going to spend time in 1 Corinthians 11. I just want to say, girls, if any of you are struggling or men on the subject of the prayer veil that our brother has spoke about already, let's talk about it. Let's, let's work through it. Let's go to the Word of God, not our opinions, and let's see what God actually says. I think the angels understand this thing better than we do. One of the brethren mentioned the, uh, there in Isaiah 6, those angels, those Seraphim or cherubims, whichever they were, with two they covered their faces and with two wings they covered their feet and with two they did fly. And There's just a lot we can learn there uh, because of the angels. That's rather interesting to think about. Veiled glory. I just want to say if you're, if you're struggling with this subject, I know all of you have been under that teaching and, and are here embracing that conviction, but if you're struggling, let's talk about it. Now, I want to go to some final points of encouragement. <clears throat> I have ten points written down. I don't know if I'll have time to get through them all. I just want to talk to you about the spirit of modesty. God has some direction in the Word, and we haven't went to near all of it, for how He likes His present wrapped. But the point is the present. The point is He wants a life that's consecrated to Him. And He says that's beautiful. And I, I love that, God says. It's in my sight very pleasing. But the spirit of modesty. Remember Jesus said something about a cup and a platter? What did He say? Does anyone remember? What did Jesus say? When you do dishes, what should you do with the cup? Jordan. Clean the inside. Inside. First make the inside of the cup clean. That the outside may be clean also. It's a waste of time to take an old, dirty coffee cup with some old coffee grounds in it, wipe the outside and get it all shiny. Offer someone, here, would you like a cup? I'd like to pour you some coffee. And they'd look inside. That's bad. It looks pretty on the outside. But the spirit of modesty. First make the inside of the cup clean. That the outside may be clean also. If you can grasp the spirit of modesty, it'll solve the letter. You won't have to to wrestle and fight with every little detail of the letter. It will flow out of you because you grasp the spirit of it. The spirit of modesty. If you can grasp that, it will take care of the letter. 
Inside and outside are both important. I just want to mention this scripture. The Apostle Paul said, What? What? No, he asked this incredible question like, What? Know you not that your body is the temple, it's the house of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God, and you're not your own? Therefore, he says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They're both mine, God says. I want both to glorify me. Don't just say, oh, I glorify God in my spirit, so how I look outside doesn't really make any difference. That's not what God says. They're both mine. Glorify me in your body and in your spirit, which are both mine. Point number two. Understand this point. A brother highlighted this a while back. Just a general point, and I think, it, I think it's good for us to understand. Men struggle with lust. Women struggle to be lusted after. That's a general tendency. I'm not saying it's always that way. But as a general rule, men are going to have more of a weakness with struggling with lust. Ladies are going to have more of a weakness with struggling to be lusted after. Or in other words, we might say, men are greatly affected visually. Women long to be longed for. There are right expressions of those natural desires. Make sure they're right. Make the inside of the cup clean. Point number three. I hear a lot of excuses sometimes for carelessness. Uh, Sometimes saying, well, yeah, but a lot of our ideas are just culture. They're just culture. Well, I'll grant you there may be some culture. But I'm telling you that the principles of the Word of God, remember this is Bible school and we've been looking at the Bible, are not just culture. They will apply to any culture. The Word of God takes over culture when it, when it becomes alive in the hearts of people. And I have seen these principles lived out in several different cultures around this world. In, in just a little opportunity we've had to travel where God has changed the hearts of people. Does it look exactly alike? No, of course not. But when the principle is there, it's so evident. It's so evident. The blessing of the radiant countenance just flows out of this. And, and that's not another point. I'd like to talk more about that, but I need to go on. You know, there's a, a doctor of theology in our community. He came around. He's came around some, and I visited with him, and he actually attended one of the conferences at one point. And he's very knowledgeable. He's very studied. He has his doctorate in theological studies. He's traveled around the world. He told me, Joe, I'll tell you, and this is a compliment. He said, you know, I've done some reading about some of your, your belief and understanding of the Word of God, and he's wrestled with things himself in his own personal life. But he said, I'll tell you what spoke to me. It was the pure, radiant countenances of some of the young sisters. That convicted me. That spoke louder to him than volumes of reasoning and debating. Wow. What an opportunity for witness. Well, point number four, I want to say, dress for Jesus. Men and women alike, have a clear testimony that your body is the temple of the Lord. It be interesting to talk about the tabernacle, how God said, I want that thing covered with badger skins. Not that bright and ornamental, but inside the thing was beautiful. I see some parallels there. Dress for Jesus. 
A passionate love for Jesus that's gripped with a desire for glory and attention to go to Him. Find fulfillment, acceptance, security, and confidence in Jesus. Don't just sweep the house. Don't just make a bunch of hard choices and force yourself into a certain mold. No, fill it. Fill it with something that will be beautiful, that will be radiant, that will be attractive. By the way, that word adorning, I did want to mention this. It means an orderly arranging. Orderly. We're not talking about being sloppy or careless. We're talking about being orderly and modest and wrapping the present beautifully like God likes it wrapped. And the world won't understand that. That's okay. Number five. Who is dictating your choices? Remember the lowriders and the cowboys and the jocks? Who was telling those people what they had to buy? I'll tell you who was. It was the peer group. To fit in, they had to, they had to do certain things. Who's dictating your choices? I have watched people. I've watched this irony. People who were determined not to let authorities that they considered unspiritual or unenlightened tell them what to do or how to appear turn right around and offer their hands to the handcuffs of secular society who ended up telling them how they ought to do or appear and the fashion catalogs and magazines and it's ridiculous. Who is dictating your choices? Who is dictating those choices? Influence. You know, little children often betray who they've been around. Just little children. You can kind of tell when they've been with, with these children. Maybe they'll talk or have certain mannerisms like them and that's okay to a point. <clears throat> but sometimes we don't outgrow that. In fact, some little boys came upstairs this morning while I studied and I heard them saying, they were talking about being cowboys. Let's play cowboy. And I just said, oh, how would you look if you're a cowboy? Well, one of them said, well, I'd, I'd get a pair of boots. These are just little children. And... Uh, he said, what else? He said, well, I'd wear mostly brown. The other one said. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. And uh, what else? I'd get a hat. One of them thought he'd need a pistol. We clarified that that was for rattlesnakes. Um, but, but we learn young, don't we? I mean, I spent hours drawing cowboys when I was a boy. I dreamed of having a pair of boots and all of those things. Not condemning here. I'm just saying, who's dictating your choices? Something to think about. A powerful ability. Men go, we went to that class, men go to great lengths to study how to cultivate dissatisfaction in your heart so that they can make money off of you. If they can get a trend going, there's millions in that. And it happens all the time. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, that you make a present of your body and wrap it like God likes it. And then you're free from a lot of that other stuff. Number six, pray for this. Lord, this has been my prayer for many years for my children, for my, for my daughter, for my wife, for others. Teach us, show us, burn upon our hearts and our consciences the awesome beauty of simplicity. I hope you can get that. The awesome beauty of simplicity. Number seven, remember this. Separate is special. Brother Kurt spoke about that passage there in, in uh, 
Second uh, Corinthians six, come out from among them, be separate, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and all that separation. What part hath he that believeth with an infidel, or Christ with Belial, or uh, yes? Can you re- rename number seven? Number seven. Separate is special. That's that's the point. Separate is special. I just want to leave that thought with you. I, I don't have time to go into it, but instead of thinking of separation as a negative concept, I think our generation, and I can see some reasons why, I admit it, we failed in some areas with this thing. We made separate something to despise and something to look down on. Separate is special for God. If you're called to be a soldier, that is something special. If you're called to be part of His kingdom, that is special. The word saint, hegion, or hegiamos. The word holy, uh, the word sanctified, all those words have to do with being separated. If you're a saint, you're a separate one. You're special. Separate is special. Let's say it. Ready? Separate is special. Remember that. Number eight. The light of the body is the eye. I'm going to finish up here and just read these quickly. The light of the body is the eye. Men, learn to look at a woman in the eye. Look at her in the eye. That's where the light, that's where her person, that's who she really is. That's what's going to come out of her eyes. The light of the body is the eye. Learn to look at a woman's face. And men, you'd be willing to exhibit a clean and upright appearance as well in that. Number nine, relatively, relativity is an extremely subtle cancer. Remember that. That's number nine. Relativity is an extremely subtle cancer. Constant association with compromise. If you constantly bathe yourself in compromising situations without making sure your convictions are clear, it will make it seem hazy at best and soon no big deal at all. Relativity is an extremely subtle cancer. If you associate with compromise, it makes that compromise begin to seem hazy. After a while, it just doesn't seem that big of a deal doesn't seem that big of a deal. Relativity is a moving target. Remember this. It's basing your position by looking at a boat that's drifting down the river. And the only solution is to constantly, constantly reinforce Bible principles. That's the solution. The last point, number 10. I can testify of meaningful fellowship with safe sisters and brothers. This is freedom. It absolutely frees up our relationships in the body of Christ for fellowship and good relationship. And I just want to bless and encourage you, wholesome brothers and sisters. God bless you. You are special. I encourage you. Stand for God's Word. And give God a gift. Give Him a present. Your body wrapped like He likes it. God bless you.